Welcome to the Child Care Business Podcast, brought to you by ProCare Solutions. This podcast is all about giving childcare, preschool, daycare, after school, and other early education professionals a fun and upbeat way to learn about strategies and inspiration you can use to thrive. You'll hear from a variety of childcare thought leaders, including educators, owners, and industry experts on ways to innovate to meet the needs of the children you serve. From practical tips for managing operations to uplifting stories of transformation and triumph, this podcast will be chock full of insights you can use to fully realize the potential of your childcare business. Let's jump in. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Childcare Business Podcast. Excited to have everybody with us today. Uh, my name is Ryan Gwaltney. I'm the Vice President of Sales with ProCare Software. And uh, if you've tuned into our, our podcast before, you know that what we try to do is, um, you know, to the best of our ability, highlight some of the personalities, some of the stories, some of the individuals that uh, are contributing to our industry, to early education. And, uh, you know, obviously today is no exception. Uh, I, I'm going to actually introduce our guest a little bit differently today. I know a lot of times I'll read a, a quick bio, but I, I want to give LaFaris Risby an opportunity to talk a little bit and share a little bit about her story. And so I just, you know, LaFaris, I want to welcome you to the show first, first off the bat. How are you? Doing great. I'm still here in the land of the living. I'm excited about it. I love it. I love it. And we'll we'll get to catch up and take uh, a little trip down uh, memory lane. I know, you know, we were talking before we came on the air that, uh, you know, I, I guess maybe 15, 16 years ago is when you and I first met each other prior to Zoom being a thing. And so this is actually our first opportunity seeing each other face to face. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for our audience, LaFerris, would you mind... Uh, telling us a little bit about your story. And I, you know, I may ask you some questions along the way, but I would love to even start at the very beginning and maybe we'll work our way up to what you're doing today. And we'll kind of end up sharing a little bit of uh, that bio I referenced a minute ago, but talk about where you live and maybe as a starting point, where did you grow up and what did that look like for you? Well, I grew up in Warren, Arkansas, and I am uh, the baby of, of five children. My mother died when I was six and it changed my entire world. Um, because all my siblings were much older than I was, I felt abandoned. And I didn't realize of how much of a role that that abandonment played in my life until um, I got into my first relationship, which ended up being an abusive relationship. Um, I felt I had felt alone. I felt like um that if my mother really loved me, she wouldn't have left me. I had no idea um, until I was about 18 years old that she died that I could live. Um, they had told her she had another child, that um, it would enlarge her heart even more and that she would die. So um, six years after she had me, she passed away. But I felt like if I'd have known that a little bit earlier, there may have been some changes that I would have um, changed some different things in my life. Um, and I tell people all the time, be honest with children. That's the first thing, even 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 through death, be honest with children, explain to them in such a way that they understand that a person that's gone to heaven, they didn't just abandon them and leave them because that left a huge hole in my heart. Even though I had a fantastic father and he was there, it was nothing like a mother's love. And I still say that today, but I ended up in an abusive relationship uh, when I was about 14 years old. And I stayed in that relationship for 14 years. I ended up being a teen mom at 15 with a one pound, nine ounce baby. 
and uh-huh. had not a clue as what to do um, with a, a child that uh, young with those with those different type issues. And so that really started me into learning more about children. I was 15. And um, then I end up marrying her father. He joined the military. We had a second child that was four pounds. So at that point, I decided I had a boy and a girl. I wasn't having no more children. But as time led on, the abuse got worse and worse and worse. And so I'm not going to give away all the pieces of the book because there's a lot of uh, turmoil and things that I think will help other people be survivors uh, through the book, uh, through some of the things that I went through. But the abuse, it just didn't stop. And so we got orders. We went overseas together. Um, We got orders to Fort Riley. And when I got orders to Fort Riley, um, I was like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? I knew that I wanted to do something. I knew the power of prayer, so I had prayed. And I said, Lord, what do I do? And I heard a voice tell me, go. You will never be in one elect for anything. And I got on a Greyhound bus with two children and $50 and headed to Fort Riley. And I had not a clue what I was going to do. He didn't even know I was there yet. He had brought his girlfriend and her um, four children and had moved her there. And so he didn't even know I was there. So when he finally did find out I was there, I never will forget it was my birthday. And um, I remember the corner of 18th and Washington and I saw him and I said, pull it over. And I told him, I said, I don't care. I'm done. It was like a light bulb popped off in my head and said, you know, your mother didn't die that you could live this way. And so at that moment, I said, I will have more than you. I will live better than you. And I will always, always, my children will never be in one lack. And I didn't even have a job or a place to live. I'm just talking. I'm just speaking things into the atmosphere. And he went on to tell me what I wasn't going to have, what I wasn't going to do, what I wasn't going to be. And I told him if I had to live in a cardboard box and eat peanut butter and jelly, I was done with this relationship. And so I just decided I would step out. And my first apartment, I went to the landlord. I never will forget. I had approximately 30 days. I gave myself 30 days. You would need to have a place to live and a job in 30 days. And so the guy said, the landlord said, because you was honest and you look like you'll pay your rent. He gave me the keys to the apartment. Amazing. It was amazing. It was, it was just, it, things started falling into place. And that was in January. I started my in-home daycare in March. I sat down and I tell people, you know, sometimes you've got to go back and you've got to think about where you come from and you got to go back and pull on some of those strings of things that you knew when you were growing up that you watch. I used to watch my mother pray. I used to, you know, I used to watch my sisters and my fathers. I used to, you know, I used to just watch things. And I remember asking myself, what do I do? My children, we were going through a divorce. They were having a very difficult time in school and getting, pulling things together. And my son was having such a, a, a way he would just cry when I leave. Please don't leave me. You know, don't, and I, I, just, I couldn't take it. And so I said, what can I do that I can provide a secure, loving, safe environment for my children and be able to pay rent like water and gas? So I didn't start my business because I wanted to. I started my business out of a need. I tell people that all the time. And so 
at the time, I didn't know what a SWOT analysis was because I only had a high school diploma at this time. So I sat down and I got me a piece of paper and I put a big X on it. And I said, likes, dislikes, good at what you're not good at. And I did common denominators. And I said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And that's how I started my in-home childcare. I did not have money to start. Can, can, can I ask you, I don't want to interrupt you because I want to keep hearing the story, but I'm just curious going back to that list that you made at the time. So you put a big red X, you listed what your gifts were, what you were good at, what you, do you remember what was on that list? Do you remember? I remember things like um, uh, taking care of children, first aid, CPR, breathing machines, uh, uh, things that I didn't like was, uh, I didn't like marketing, uh, just different things that I knew that I wasn't good at. Um, people skills. I was able to talk to people real well. I went back. I had I had had an accounting in high school. So I put that down as one of the things that I was good at. So I and that's that's how I just made my list based off of things that I knew that either I was capable of doing or wasn't capable of doing or I liked or I didn't like. Were those things at that time that people had told you in your life that they saw those abilities or those giftings in you, like they had spoken that into your life? Or were those things that you just had to step back and say, self-analyze, like these are the things that I'm aware of and make decisions off of that? Do you remember kind of how that that shaped your life? That's exactly what I did. I self-analyzed and decided, okay, what, and some of the things that was on that list, I said I wasn't good at, I now realize I was good at. But when you're self-analyzing yourself and you're stepping back and you're looking at yourself, a lot of the things, it's hard for you to think about the things that you're good at. You can think about all the things that you're not good at and you can have a list a mile long. But it's hard to think about things that you're good at. So you really have to sit there and think. And it probably took me a couple of days to sit down and figure out those things. And that's, I, and I decided, I said, okay, so how do I do this? Because it wasn't things out like Chamber of Commerce, the computer, the internet, none of that stuff was out then. This was like in 1994. So a lot of this stuff wasn't out. If it was, I wasn't knowledgeable about it. And so I, that's, that's how I started. And I said, okay, well, I sat there and I was like, oh my God. Okay, so now what do I do? So I sat there and I said, how do I contact? So I contact the health department and ask, but I didn't have the criteria to become licensed because I lived in a basement apartment because at the time I couldn't even afford that, but that's what I was living in. So I had to end up doing registered child care, which is the very first thing you do before you get your licensed child care. Then you get your group home um, and then you get your child care center. So I've went through all four stages of it um, in order to get to where I am now. But I knew I needed to do something because my, and I, and as far as my marketing, I was thinking in my mind, if I need this, I know it's got to be other parents out there that need this too. So I'm going to have to figure out how to find those parents. And those were my avatars. I was my own avatar. I was my own person that I said that I made be my person that I was looking for because I was a single parent. Um, I needed to be able to provide care that I trust and that um, was affordable and that I knew that was going to be in a loving, safe environment. So I used my, what I needed as to be my own people that I targeted, if that makes sense. It, yeah, it makes a, a ton of sense. I mean, I think sometimes when you have a product or a service, it's like, if I would be my customer, I at least know that there's one customer, where can I find more people like me that would you know, be attracted to what I'm doing? Do you remember how you found 
you know, customers? Because if I I was reading a little bit before, you know, we got on the air, and if I'm not mistaken, around that time in your life, when when you kind of decided to leave that relationship and and go out on your own, you you had like fifty dollars to your name, and so I know I that you found somebody who had. Um, who had given you a place and trusted you that you were going to come through for rent. But do you remember how you found customers? And do you remember how you even like set up equipment in the apartment to be able to I have childcare? Yeah, I do remember. I used all my children's toys. We had kept since he had moved, he had moved all our home goods there. I finally, the month of February, got my household goods. So I used my children's toys. I used their arts and crafts. I used doll houses. I used trucks and cars. I used the things that was in my hands at the time that I didn't have to pay for to start my childcare business. And what I did was I went to um, I went to like laundry mats. Um, I went on post to like the ACS building and put out actual flyers. That's how I found my customers. I found my customers at PTA when my son would be at football practice. I would, you know, kind of talk to people and um, talk to people at my at the church that I went to and just started t- giving out information and telling people, OK, here's some flyers. Could you please put these out in areas where you can put them out at, in in, um, in apartment complexes? And that's actually how I started finding my clients. That's amazing. Do you remember like at the very beginning when you started to do that? Was it just immediately like an amazing, overwhelming, positive response? Or do you remember it as? it was a grind, like a lot of rejection, a lot of doors being closed, or, you know, I'm always just so curious about people's mindset as you were navigating through that. Do you remember that season and kind of what your perspective on it is now? Yeah. See, it wasn't a lot of doors being closed. Remember, I could only have six children and I already had two because two of them were mine. So I only could have four more children. So it wasn't hard to get four additional children. Got it. And then, and so you, you filled up that first, you know, in-home childcare center, you had six kids, two of them were yours. How, how old were your kids at that time, LaFerris? My daughter was uh, 12 and my son was seven. Okay. And then you found four other kids and then walk through how long did you, did you operate that in-home center for? What was that season of life or that period? It was just the summer. Once the okay. summer was over, I moved into a two bedroom house and became licensed. And at that point I could have 10 children because um, during the summertime when I moved, the kids were gonna be going back to school. And so I was knowing that I wanted to start, as as I saw and I saw, oh, I'm good at this. I started thinking about how I could envision this being more. So I started thinking about, I want to go back to school. I wanna go back to school for this. And so what I would do in the summertime is I sent my children to stay with my brother and my sister-in-law because my brother didn't have any children. And that allowed me to go to school in the evening times during the school year, but it allowed, allowed me to go then complete summer where I could spend my time getting my education. And I didn't have to worry about all the extra with the kids. Cause in the summertime, you want your kids to be able to have swimming lessons, golf, you want them to be able to do things. And I know my brother could give them those things while I was in school. So during the summer, were you still running childcare, your childcare program during the day? And then at night you would go to classes and kind of continue education, or were you able to dedicate summers completely to just your own education? Nope. I, I went to, I did childcare during the day and I went to school at night. And, and were you doing everything at that point in the center? You know, I know you, you, it sounds like early on you were like, I love this. I'm good at it. I love being around kids, but were you, were you teaching? Were you cooking? Were you doing everything or did you have help at that point? 
Oh, no. I didn't get help until I started my group home. I did everything. My day started like about four o'clock in the morning and didn't end until around midnight. So so when you talk to clients now, because I, you know, we'll talk a little bit about how you spend your time now and energy and what you're doing, you know, vocationally right now, uh, you know, but, you know, obviously one of the reasons I want to talk about your story is, is to set some framework around uh, there, there's not a lot of room for excuses for many of us, because when, when you look back at your story, from the time you woke up in the morning, working all day, doing everything in your childcare center, and then would immediately um, transition into school at night. What would you say now, as you look back, what were the lessons for you personally that you learned during that season of life that you like still apply in your craft today? I put on my mirror in my bathroom, how bad do you want it? And that would be my motivation because I had to figure out Every day. It was days where I didn't want to go to school, days I didn't want to get up. You know, everybody has those days. But I had to think about where do I want to be 30 years from now? What kind of life do I want my children to have? You know, what what do I want to impart in myself? And then I also thought about my mother died that I could live. So in my world, if I could just touch the life of one child, one family and make a difference, her, her death wouldn't have been in vain. And so for me, those things were very important. So I would always ask myself, how bad do you want it? You, you, you don't make excuses. You can do anything that you put your mind to it because we're phenomenal. I mean, I, I think we are as women. I, I think we're phenomenal. We have so many different people that we are in one day and so many different roles that we play in one day. And we have to we have to make the decision early on what we're going to do in life and decide how bad do we want it, what we're willing to do to get it. How bad do I want it? And so he has a great question. And you actually literally physically had that written on the mirror in your bathroom. So you wake up yep. in the morning. On, the with lipstick. I wrote it in lipstick. <laughs> uh, I, I like it. And so at that time, were you studying when you were going back to school? Uh, you know, obviously, you had spent time being in early education, running your center, your in-home center by that point. Were you studying early education? Were you studying something different or what were you studying at school at that point? I was studying early child education. I went back and got my um, associate in early child education. I went and got a CDA in infant and toddlers. Then I went and got a, a BS in human services. Then I got um, a certified family life education educator, which is equivalent to a master's. So I went back and I got about 25 other certifications because as I opened up my actual child care center, when I opened my very first one, when I remember when I called you, I remember opening my very first center. And the one thing that I realized was it was too expensive to always try to have people to come in and train my staff. So what I did was I became an instructor in everything that my staff needed. So I would be able to train it, which then allowed me to be able to start training the CDAs because I had all the tools that I needed to be able to help other people get the training and get their staff trained to move into their next level. Because I tell people, I, I, I train teachers, but my goal is for you not to stay a teacher. I train directors. That's the ultimate goal is for you to own your own or for you to be working in a director's position. Yes, I love teaching. But as you start getting older and you start getting your 40s and your 50s, you want to be doing something else. You want to be doing more than up and off, up and down off the floor. Some knees start getting bad and hurting and... <laughs> 
you need to, you, you know, you need to start thinking about what else is it that I want to do, especially if you're going to stay in this field. Yeah. I, I mean, we hear that a lot. It's interesting. I mean, you were, you were doing that all the way back when you started your center, but it's a huge theme right now, especially for whatever reason coming out of, you know, everything that happened last year, we're talking with lots of centers around, you know, challenges around staffing their schools. And that seems to be one of the themes is that, you know, look, in recruiting great talent to a school is more than just what you pay them. It's yes. growth opportunities. It's feeling part of a community. So you've, you've always done that. Do you, when you opened your first center, I want to talk a little bit about that because you just referenced it. I think it was the early two thousands. So you went from your home center, started getting some education, focusing your, your career on this industry. Then you moved into that group environment Walk me through what you remember about opening your first center. How did that, how did that take place? How did it open up for you? And do you remember like how long it took you from the time you started looking for a building to the time you actually opened? Yes. I opened my very first center in 1999 and rented. That was the first time that I had opened my first childcare center and I had 37 children. And the first thing I remember was when I got my director's license, I had a very clear desk and I had me a little name tag. And I said, Ooh, I'm a director now. What do I do? <laughs> uh, I had no handbooks, no staff handbooks, no parent handbooks, no anything. I created everything from scratch. So now I help other people create their, you know, their tools from scratch. But as I started going into this center, I was like, okay, my rent kept going up and I'm like, man, and then I can't do what I want to do in the building. I was like, okay, guess what? I'm going to start looking for my own building. And so about 2003, I started looking for my own building. And that's where we're located now. We sit on 4.5 acres of land, almost uh, 9,000 square feet. And when I met you, that's when I was in the process of opening up that location. And do you remember how how you pulled that off? Like, I'm always curious because we, as we talk with schools all the time and talk with new people coming in the industry, you know, there's all sorts of different ways to be able to, you know, buy a property, lease a property, find financing for a property, find partners. Do you? How did you? You know, the mechanics of that for you. What did that look like? Moving from renting to actually purchasing your own property. Um, when I first thought about purchasing the property. I went and I looked at it and my son and daughter went with me to look at it. And my son was like, oh, this is much bigger than what we are now. I got to still clean up. It's going to be too big <laughs> for me to clean up. So he was worried about the janitorial. And my daughter was like, how are we going to turn this into a childcare center? But I saw all the potential, all the potential. I looked at it and I looked at everything that I wanted, the exercise room, the the, uh, the, the warm spirit nurturing room and the lactation room, all the things that I wanted. I was like, oh, I got this. And so I walked around the building and I prayed because I'm a prayer. And I remember hearing, do you want them? I said, yes. I heard God tell me, go get it. And I said, oh, the money. He said, pretend it's the same $50 you got the Junction City, Kansas with. And at mm -hmm. that point, it was 50 bucks. Didn't matter how much it cost, it was $50. But what I did do, I did my homework. The per the when I purchased it, it was a residential piece of property. So what I did was I took it and I went before the council, our council city councilman, and it used to be a commercial piece of property. So I changed it back to commercial property, took the mid equity out of it, and I redid the entire building using that because I did not want to have partners. I didn't know I didn't know anything about doing partners. 
I needed a business plan. My business plan, I ain't know nothing about a business plan. My business plan was crazy. It had like five pieces of paper. One paper had my name and address on it. The second piece of paper had like what I wanted to do, which was like a short paragraph. And then the third piece had like my uh, financials from my personal taxes. And the fifth piece had like my consultant I was working with. Now, you know, now you know that we know now a business plan that was a hot mess. So <laughs> a hot mess I, I of a used, business plan. OK, yeah. But yeah, but it, I mean, I didn't it, know what a business plan was. So I just used <laughs> what I had in my hand. I mean, I was uh -huh. like, OK, I'm going to figure it out. And I was just figuring it out along the way. And the place that I'd locate, the location was, everybody was like, well, that's not going to be a good, good location. I was like, I didn't know marketing. I know nothing about location, 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 location. Well, to say the least, three years later, now it's a huge area. They have a complex over there for like a thousand people, a school, housing. When I moved there, it was nothing there. And so I got it because it was a, I, I saw the potential, but I also saw the fact that I could, the affordability of it. And so when I did that, I was able to utilize that money. But when I opened the my very first day in the building, my sewage collapsed. Lovely. That's a great way to start. So $50,000. Oh, day one. Day one. I never will forget it. And I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? I have no more money. So I, that's an amazing story. Like, look, I, it, it would be easy to just talk about, you know, retrospectively, this is what happened and we got through it and look at us today. But like in the moment, it would have been extremely easy to just say, I give up. Like, this is just yeah. too much. So sewage breaks, that means you're not able to operate or were you able to figure out a way to keep kids in the center and yeah. While you I fix it, I was able to figure out a way to keep kids into the center. <laughs> I was able to figure out a way because we're 252 feet from the manhole. Got it. You still and remember the so, exact number, 252. Oh yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> this was a nightmare. And so yeah. I, um, I was sitting there thinking, I said, I am not going back to the bank. I am not getting a second mortgage. I just started this. And so I said, how can I do this? Well, the people I were working with, they had to order the pieces in parts. So it took like six months to get it completely done. In the time frame uh, that was happening, I had got a credit card with 0% interest and I was paying it as it as I was going along. So by the time that they got finished, I only still owed about six more months on it. But I had an 18 month credit card with 0% interest. So by the time the 18 months was finished, I had paid the whole $50,000 off. Wow. So you literally were like, got a problem solved. I have a $50,000 unexpected expense. I've got to figure out how to handle it. Yeah. Zero interest credit card was what gave you the runway to be able to do that. I'm super good when it comes to strategic planning, when it yeah. comes to thinking things strategically through that, that that's one of my skill sets that I didn't realize I had until I really started working with other businesses to help. Cause I'd be like, Oh yeah, we can figure this out. You got to step back. You, you're, you're in it too much in, in the moment. Step back. Step back and look over into it because you're looking at it head on. And because you're the person that's actually happening to, you've got to step back and manage your expectations and manage your fears and manage you. You've got to manage the, your, you as a person because you would just lose it when you start thinking about, oh, my God, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. As long as you're thinking you can't do it, you'll never be able to do it. It's really insightful. Do you remember in that season thinking that way? Or is that a lesson you learned by 
not operating that way during that season. And now looking back, you've kind of grown and learned from it. Or do you remember like in all of that challenge, all that adversity, actually having that mindset, like I've just got to navigate this. I did have that mindset, but the first thing I did was I said, oh my God, what am I going to do? My church is less than a half a mile from where my office is at. I walked down to my church and I told him, I said, hey, I need to see my pastor right now. I need to see my bishop right now. And so he came out. He said, are you okay? I said, oh, I need somebody to pray with me. I need, I need some help. I, 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 I got to pull myself together. That was the first thing I thought of doing was pray. Okay, because I knew that had always worked for me and faith had always worked for me. And so we prayed. He said, so what do you, do you need money? What is it? I said, no, I need guidance. I just need to, I need to sit here and I need to talk to somebody that I trust and I can just say what I need to say while I'm thinking of playing through. Because sometimes it's not so much that you can't. Sometimes you need those people that are in your corner, in your circle, that you can be very honest, blunt, and be who you are. If that means crying and screaming and whatever it means to get to your next thing so you can say what you're feeling and how you're feeling. Because that will help you process what you need to do. And that's what I need. Because by the time I left this office, I was straight. You were good. Mentally, I was so good. that was, I was you were good. When I left this office, I'm, I'm, getting on, I'm getting on the phone. I'm going to find me a credit card. I'm going to use my credit and my credit score. And I'm going to find me a credit card that's going to help me be able to do this. Because I'm not. I refuse to get a second mortgage. And so you figured it out. Got a credit yep. card. Got through the initial season of, you know, the sewer breaking and having to deal with all the unexpected expense. And then, you know, has your school since the very beginning uh, in terms of like enrollment, in terms of, you know, what we might define as a successful school, it's been financially strong staffing. Has it been an easy road for you or has it always been, you know, kind of a growing process for you in terms of getting to a spot where it feels like it's um, self-sufficient? Um, we're more self-sufficient now, but it's always been a growing process for me. I've always been learning and learning and more learning. And now I'm at the stage to where I'm not there every day because I'm now working on other opportunities. So it's more stable as I have a, a CEO. Well, my son is my CEO and he was one of the very first per per people I had to fire from the beginning of the business. You but fire, fired him or hired him? I fired him because <laughs> he couldn't come to work on time. And I have a problem with that. Yeah, that's not a great thing. So you, so one of the very first people you hired was your son. He did janitorial, if I remember the story right. Like he was yep. having to clean, and then he got fired by. He his got mom. fired when um he was about nineteen. I fired him. He went into the Air Force, stayed in nine years, came out remarkably well, remarkably with great instinct, with great business strategies, with great business sense. Um, but he needed that. He needed that in order to take us to our next level. Love it. So he comes out, he gets rehired. So he was in the rehire pool. He was in the uh, rehire pool. Rehired as a CEO. And then at, at what point for you, LaFerris, did you start thinking about for yourself what's next in terms of, you know, I know that you've written a book. So I want to give you a chance to talk about what, what inspired that, maybe who encouraged you or how that came about. Um, but at what point did you start thinking like, hey, where else can I go and give back? Was it recent or was it always something that, you know, you had kind of had on your heart to do as you proceeded through your career? 
it was always important to me because one thing I want to do is leave a lasting legacy. And so I really started uh, focusing in about 2009 with all the different board of directors and the different things in the community and the different things outside of my community, outside of my state that I started working with and doing different things with. And I've just kind of continued to do so because it's always been important to me. Always. And then, and then at what point did you write your book? So I know it's, it's, um, you know, we're sitting in 2021. I, the name of your book is, is what I'm going to let you, I want you to talk about the name of your book, maybe when you started writing it and can you give, don't, don't, no spoiler alerts, but maybe just an idea for those listening of, of, you know, what they would get from the book if, if they read it. Um, it's called Dare to Dream. And it's basically talking about a young girl who lost her mother at an early age, had a lot of trying, a lot of different things went on, teen pregnancy, abusive relationships, all the way up into starting the business, becoming the largest African-American business in the community. And it goes all through all the different stages and tell you different ways to enhance you to be able to not lose your dream. Even though you're going through trying times, even though you that you're going through death or you're going through a divorce or you're going through uh, marital situations, whatever it may be, that dream that's burning inside of you, don't give up on. Don't ever give up on. And so that's part of what the book really, really talks about. Um, it talks about how I got out of the domestic abuse uh, relationship, how, how I started helping others um, live their dream and get out of... Um, uh, situations and use what they have in their hands because a lot of times we have things in our hands and talents that we don't even know that we have and we don't know how to use them. So one of my goals is to make sure that whether you're a man or a woman, to make sure that you use what's in your hands and what the, the gifts that God has given you to propel yourself to your next level. Whether that's just, I want to be a great mom I want to be a great grandmother. I want to own my own business. I want to be a multimillionaire. I want to just have a, a vacation every single year. How do I do those things? And how do I keep my family together? COVID-19 taught us so many things. And the one thing I've always known is, am I my brother's keeper? Yes, I am. I started writing this book in 2015. And it took me all the way uh, through 2019 to get completely done with it because some other things had to transpire. The death of my ex-husband had to take place. And I went through the, 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 the having to bury him and having to help my children through that, having to be the one to do a lot of things with that. And people say, how could you have done, you know, that when you got, we had children together. Just because we couldn't make a marriage work, we still had two beautiful children together. And he launched me into my destiny. If it had not been for the things I went through with him, he launched me into my destiny. I'm not mad at him. And so at the end of his life, we always stayed friends. We just couldn't make a marriage work. But yeah, you had two beautiful kids together and now yes. they're both. Yeah. And so that happened between 2015, 2019, while you were writing the book slowly over time. Um, book got completed in 2019, you said? Book got completed in 2019 and we released it in 2019. And it just it goes through all the different steps in, in, in the marriage, all through the, uh, the divorce, all through the five stages of death. It goes through all the different things. Um, it goes Every person can find themselves in that book at some point or some situation in their life. Yeah, that they can grab onto and take something out of to, you know, be able to help them with whatever they're going through. 
it, it seems like now that that, you know, kind of the emphasis of the book and sharing your story and encouraging, you know, other people, like you said, men, women, people who want to be entrepreneurs is a big part of your, your mission now and kind of your, your purpose. Cause it sounds like you spend, I know you still operate your childcare program. Your son is the CEO. It's still in existence and doing well, yeah. but a lot of your time, um, talk to me about what you're doing with LaFerris Risby Inc. I, I know you, you've, you've written the book, but you do consulting you do speaking talk a little bit about what all you offer um i do speaking um i speak whether it's through for uh, for child care whether it's through for personal um for, for personal things uh, such as budgeting such as um how to make things work shift and move your life um so it's a lot of different things that i do uh with the speaking engagements um the book is available on lafairs.com um currently just uh Received a will be receiving an award in de, uh, December twenty twenty one for um, strategic business of the strategic person business of the year. Um, wow. I'm pretty excited about that because I am always working with other organizations trying to make sure that they're strategically planning for the next stage. Especially now, COVID is not over, so I'm encouraging childcare facilities to start planning for it not to be over. Don't put your dependency on the government funding and government grants. Start thinking about where you can put your time and your energy. I started putting things together in 2019 um, before, and I believe it was November, 2019, I, I started doing a risk management assessment on my organization. So I could see where we were and where the holes and the gaps were for risk management. And that really did save us a lot during COVID-19 because I already knew where some of the gaps and the holes were. Yeah, you were prepared for that. Which allowed us to be able to be stay open. Um, we've had to open, we had to close a couple of times because of, of COVID, but we, we're, all of us are vaccinated, but still, if somebody comes into our facility that has COVID, we still have to shut down. So staffing still has to be paid, you know, so bills still have to come, um, get paid. So you need to consider some of those things and look at your insurance policies because now there's no coverage for COVID in your insurance policies. Mm. So you got to think about all those things when you're looking at risk management. Think about all those different things, home-based and center-based. You need to start putting a plan together so you're more prepared for the, this next season that we're getting ready to go into. Yeah, it's good. It's good advice to be uh, instead of reacting to what happens, being proactive and being prepared for what's coming up. Were you guys during the last, you know, I know you referenced this, but during 2020 with COVID, how how much of 2020 did you guys have to shut down? Did you have some some periods where the school was completely closed or were you able to maintain care for some essential staff or and things like that? We were closed for about three months. Wow. And during the time frame, we were closed. All our staff got paid. All of our bills got paid. But as I said, I had already started making provisions in 2019 to start putting away and start thinking about savings and different things that I needed to do in case of emergency, because I knew I still had a mortgage I had to meet. Yep. It was still going to be there, even if you're not open and all the unexpected things happen, there's still going to be some responsibilities that you have yeah. as being a business owner. Even now, you know, even now, if COVID wouldn't have never happened, something else could have happened. And you still need to think about strategically those things if you have a mortgage. How can I get my mortgage paid if something happens in this entity? Um, you know, how do I do that? How do I keep my accountant on, 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 on standby? How do I keep my attorney? You know, how do I keep these core people 
they're going to help you move your organization. Yeah, that's great. That's great insight. What what about um you know, for you personally, LaFaris. So, you know, what's the dream now for LaFaris Risby? You, you've obviously already have an amazing story from, you know, what you've come from and, and how you've worked through that. You, you're sharing it with not just, you know, your staff and your family, you've written a book and, and you're, you're putting yourself out there to share your story, which, you know, I know our audience will be, you know, encouraged and inspired by it as well. But like if if we talk to you five years from now and and you know you're able to kind of write the story for yourself, like the dream between now and five years and what you're focused on, is there something that's driving you right now specifically that you're working towards over the next you know two, three, four, five years? I am. I'm looking. Um, at one of the things um, that I want to do is through our our real estate entity is work with some organizations to build a a place of survival where men and women that are going through domestic violence have some place to come to um, when they're trying to get away from their abuser. And so I want to have some kind of uh, 12 plex or four plex or something where they can come to, they can have a safe haven, they have childcare, they have a job, they have all the essentials that they need to start their life over again. Because a lot of times we stay because we we're afraid for our children. We're afraid that we don't have enough to survive. We don't know what's next. We don't know how our children are going to eat or where we're going to sleep. So that's something that I'm really focused on is trying to get with some programs and get with some people that can help me um, build something like that for other survivors. So they can get out. So they can do, they can dare to dream. They can put their dreams to moving forward and they can find themselves and get out of those relationships that are not going to do them or their children any good. Yeah. You, um, you know, you kind of hit on something there that, you know, is, is obviously it comes from a place of reference for you, but you know, the idea that, you know, individuals that are in tough situations, abusive relationships, oftentimes they stay because like you said, they've got kids that they're worried about, like, look, it's, I don't know how I'm going to go provide. I don't know what that next step looks like. And so I'm going to kind of endure or suffer so that I can try to provide or protect, you know, my kids. So, you know, your dream is to have something where, Hey, I can give you a safety line. Like we have a place for you. You don't have to stay in that difficult situation and, and have a place where you would then provide them housing, but also help them find employment and get on track and schooling and the things like that were a big part of your path forward. That was a big part of my path forward. And I I tell people, nobody's on the island by themselves. Everybody needs help at some point. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, I am. Yeah. uh, And, and there's, you know, not everybody has a, a one moment in life or one day where it's like that point of, you know, kind of demarcation where it's like everything changed right there. But if I, you know, if I hear your story, right, maybe there's a few of those for you, but you know, you were talking earlier about that day. I think it was your birthday on 18th street and at Fort Raleigh where yep. uh, that was like a real changing point in your life. It sounds like you were headed one direction and you know, something happened and you made a decision and it completely altered, you know, the course of your life from, from that moment forward. From that moment forward, my entire life changed. Yeah. Well, you've, you've obviously got, you know, from, you know, we're lucky to have you in our industry and be able to take, you know, your story and what you you've shared even on this episode. 
Um, you've written it in your book. I know you continue to also share your story, you know, publicly, like you reference. So if people who are listening to this episode, the fairs wanted to connect with you, wanted to reach out, wanted to follow your story. Um, you know, I just want to give you an opportunity. Can you share how people can find you or how people could reach you if they wanted to? Yes. My website is lafairs.com. So it's L-A-F as in Frank, A-R-R-I-S.com. You can reach me on any of the social media outlets, Facebook, LinkedIn, um, Twitter. Um, um, what's the other one? Instagram. Yeah. Instagram is LaFerris Risby. That was the one beautiful thing. I was able to get my name for everything. So it's LaFerris Risby, um, L-A-F-A-R-R-I-S-R-I-S-B-Y for Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. Um, Twitter, and then you can do LaFerris.com for my actual uh, website. Wonderful. And I, and I tell you what, we really, you know, appreciate, I mentioned this at the start of the show. I might've mentioned it before we came on air, but uh, you know, really, you know, this podcast for us is obviously talking about the business of childcare. We have people come on our, our show that talk about some of the, you know, the mechanics and how to go execute some of the, you know, the actual practical things of running childcare but our industry is also filled with amazing individuals with stories that are inspirational and impactful and are going to, you know, I think evoke emotion in individuals to challenge them and cause them and, and, and um, inspire them to be better too. So I think this, uh, this show is going to do that LaFerris and just want to thank you for your time. And uh, hopefully we'll talk again in uh, the near future. Hope so. It was wonderful being with you. I'm so glad I was able to meet with you us to the pairs. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Childcare Business Podcast. To get more insights on ways to succeed in your childcare business, make sure to hit subscribe in your podcast app so you never miss an episode. And if you want even more childcare business tips, tricks, and strategies, head over to our resource center at ProCareSoftware.com. Until next time.